Welcome to Thrive Church. We are so happy to have you here with us today. Uh, my name is Judah Thomas. I'm the lead pastor here at Thrive Church. And we are in a series right now called Twisted. Twisted. And, and throughout this series, we're taking a look at um, maybe verses in the Bible that people twist around or things that, that you might think that are in the Bible that actually aren't in there or, or we heard them a different way, we've said them a different way, maybe we've misunderstood uh, their meaning. And, and, you know, the problem is, is that sometimes we, we take verses out of context. We twist them around. We make them uh, mean something that they actually don't mean. And, and so today, we're going to be taking a look at a verse that is commonly used in church. And it's found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Has anybody here ever heard uh, that said before in church? Okay, a lot of you have. Now, some of you, maybe you're, you're new to faith, you haven't heard that. That's great. So we, we're going to kind of walk through this. But for some of us, we've been brought up hearing this verse over and over. And honestly, as a preacher myself, it's a great verse to preach because you can be like, look around the room, and if there's two or more of us, then we know that God is here with us. It isn't a great church to know that God is here with us today. And yeah, we're excited about that. We're excited about that. You, you open up a service like this, and we're like, it gets everybody excited. Yeah, yeah, we know God's here. Or, or you're going to pray for somebody. And so you're praying like, God, your word says that whenever two or three are together in your name, that you are here. So we thank you that you're here with us. But the question I have today is this. Are we using this verse properly or not? Are we using, because here's the thing. You know, the idea is, is that if there's two people here and we both believe in God, then God is with us. And it seems like a good verse and it seems like an encouraging verse, but it kind of implies, it kind of implies that God is only with you if there's two or more people there. Right? Like, that's kind of the implication. Like, we might not actually think that's what it means, but then if, then why are we saying it, right? Like, we're saying, well, if two or more are gathered, then God's here. Well, what about when, when two aren't there? Like, then where's God? He's like, sorry, you don't have enough people there. I'm not showing up right now. It's like, you got to have more than one. You know, so, sounds like this, this good, encouraging verse, but i got to have more than one, or else God isn't going to be with me. God isn't going to hear me. You know, a couple years ago, I was hiking in the winter in the mountains of Vermont, and, uh, and it was in the snow. And so I was out there in about four foot of snow, and I'm in my snowshoes, uh, and, and I'm hiking through the woods, and I decided, you know what, I don't need to follow the marked trail. I'll make my own trail. And so, so I'm hiking through there, and it was pretty apparent before long that I didn't know where I was anymore, and I wasn't sure how far back it would, you know, I would have to go, how far I'd have to go before I finally reached my destination. Um, certainly, I could have probably turned around and followed my tracks in the snow, but I'd already come so far, I was like, this is going to be an incredibly long hike, and, and I wasn't sure what to do, and so I was praying, asking God for guidance, and let me tell you, God was there with me. Like, I didn't need another person. So, so it kind of it makes this verse a little bit weird because it says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. And yet, I was in the mountains of Vermont in the snow all alone, and I felt God's presence with me there. See, the, this is the problem with using a verse out of context. See, 
the Bible, if you're not familiar with it, is not just a single book, but it's a collection of 66 books written over thousands of years by a number of different authors. Some are books of poetry. Some are books of history. Some are, are letters written from different people. And these were written much like the books and letters of today. They were just written down. Like they're just written there. But yet when we open up our Bible, we see a numbering system, right? We see chapters and verses, and it's all broken down into like these little bite-sized chunks. Now, now that wasn't how they wrote. Like, like Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he wasn't saying, okay, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Like he wasn't saying that. He was just writing this, and later on we decided that it would be easier to reference parts of Scripture if we number it. And we're like, that'll be great because then, you know, we can say, hey, go to this verse and everybody knows where to go. We can find it easier because how else are we going to find exactly where somebody's talking about? And so that's a good benefit of it. But the problem is, is that it allows the pervasive cherry picking of verses. That we can just take a verse, we can extract it from Scripture and use a single verse to form our theology and our belief about God. And we take this verse and we, we post it on our Instagram bio. We get it printed on a mug or on a t-shirt. We're like, yes, this is my life verse. But we're not even understanding what the verse means in its entirety. So we may be taking this verse a little bit out of context in the way that I was just using it before. In your notes, if you're taking them, in order to understand a Bible verse, you must read the verses before it and after it. Like, like this is simple, right? Like, you, you got to read what's before it and read what's after it. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible is just open for interpretation. It's subject to interpretation. You can just interpret it however you want. And all I got to say to that is, no way, not even close. Like, like, if you write a letter to somebody, right, you write somebody a letter, and then they get the letter, and they're like, well, this letter is open for interpretation, you know. It's like, no, no, the, the best thing the recipient of the letter can do is try to understand what the author's original intent was. And so that's our goal with Scripture is to understand the original intent. So we need to not just read a verse extracted from Scripture, but we need to read the verses before it and read the verses after it. Now, now this verse seems to imply wherever two or three are gathered together that God is there with us, it seems to imply that you can invoke God's presence simply by getting another Christian in the room. If two or three of us are here in the room, then boom, God's here. Like he just shows up magically. It's like he wasn't here, but now two of us are here, and now God's here too. And then we see there's another in the fire. And we got to get this idea that, that we're like, oh, yeah, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and there were three of them, and then God was there. And that, that's good preaching, but it's bad theology, okay? So we're going to look at what the verse really means, okay? And then we're going to come back to talking about God's presence. So, so the sermon today is actually going to have like two um, different topics that kind of don't even relate very well to each other. But just bear with me because, because we're going to look at what the verse really means and then we're going to come back to God's presence in our lives and in this world. So Matthew 18, we read verse 20, right? Forever two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. But we're going to back up to verse 15, Matthew 18, 15. It says, 
if your brother sins against you, okay, hold on. Has anybody here ever had a person sin against them before? Raise your hand. Okay, every hand should be up, right? It's like, like yeah, we've had somebody who's sinned against us. We've had someone who's hurt us. We've had someone that said something about us that, that, that's, that's, you know, uh, cheated us. They, they've done something evil against us. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in public. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? In private. No, no, you know, well, you know what we would like it to say? If your brother sins against you, go and post about it on social media, right? We can follow that. Some of us, we're already following that one. Yeah, I'm going to post it. No, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. Underline that word private. Circle that word private. Put some arrows to that. In private, right? And if he listens to you, you've won a brother. Verse 16. But if he won't listen... Take one or two others with you. In other words, get some reinforcement. Get some backup. Not just any backup. Not just people that take your side, but godly people who are coming with an unbiased opinion. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. We see this reflected all throughout Scripture, that you couldn't just accuse someone. You had to bring some other people, other witnesses involved. Verse 17, but if he doesn't pay attention to them, then tell the church. So, so now you're bringing the church into it. And then if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. In other words, don't, don't, don't treat them the same. Treat them as an outsider. How are we to treat outsiders? With hatred, right? No, no, with love, right? We still treat them with love. Like we, we still love people. We're still serving them. But it says treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, verse 19, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree on any matter that you pray for, it'll be done for you by my Father. This is another verse that we love to take. Oh, if two or three agree on anything, it's going to be done. But, but think about the context here that it's talking about. If two or three agree on this conflict, right, and you're praying on this conflict, it says it'll be done. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. So it's clear here, if we read the entirety of this verse, that this verse is speaking about dealing with somebody that you have a problem with. Maybe you have a problem with somebody, and, and you don't like what they're doing, and, and they're treating you poorly, or somebody you love, they're treating them poorly. This verse is all about how to handle people like that, people who have sinned against you. And we see this emphasized throughout Scripture, that you're to go to someone and then if they don't listen, that you bring someone else. And then if they don't listen, then you bring it before the church. See, these are the basics to resolving conflict in the church. How we should be responding to sin. Now, it's very important for us to realize that the goal here is always to bring restoration. That's the goal of this. It's not to prove someone right or wrong. It's to bring Restoration. In your notes, we point out sin to bring restoration and not condemnation. See, some people, they like to point out sin to condemn others. I see that online all the time. People are picking apart other people, other pastors, uh, other individuals, saying, oh, look at this person, and they want to condemn them rather than bring them to restoration. We don't point out sin to bring condemnation. 
So that's why it says that you rebuke where? We rebuke in private. You go to that person one-on-one. You rebuke them in private, not, not like what we, most of us like to do. You know what most of us like to do? We like to instead gossip, right? Instead of talking to this person, I'm going to talk to everybody else about that person and how they wronged me. See, that's gossip, and the Bible speaks very harshly against gossip. If someone's wronged you, you're not to go and gossip about them. You are to go to them in private. Don't post about it. Go and talk to them. Go in person, privately, and discuss the issue. And then if that doesn't work, then you bring another godly person or two. You bring them, and and with prayer, you discuss the issue. And if that doesn't work, then you bring in some church leadership. And then the church leadership helps to make a decision on the matter. There's numerous times in my own ministry where people have had disputes with other believers and they've called uh, me to, to, to help to, to bring some peace to a situation, to be kind of a third party, unbiased, who will hopefully represent scripture in the situation. So then, as long as they agree, remember that the verses, if, it, if two or more agree, we're like, oh, if anyone agrees on these things, then like, okay, well, why don't you pray with me now? Let's pray that I win the lottery. Do you believe? If you, if you pray with me and agree, then we'll split the lottery 50-50, uh, okay? And it's like, like, wait a minute. That's not what the verse is saying. It says, if you agree, if you agree on the outcome, if you agree on that, then God is with them. If they agree, God is agreeing too. Because God is there with him in that situation. See, God is exercising his authority in and through the local church. See, if we read it in its entirety, that verse that we started with, which was, you know, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them, it kind of means something different, doesn't it? Kind of doesn't mean the same thing. It's not really a call to worship. It's not really something that we just say when we're going to pray. Hey, let's let's pray. Okay, you know, there's two of us. Oh, great. That means God's here, you know, and he's going to hear us. Now, it kind of means something different. This is basically saying that decisions regarding church discipline shouldn't be made alone. That when you're trying to to help to bring uh, a resolution to conflict, when you're trying to help to bring peace, it's best to bring in some godly counsel into those situations. It should include some other godly people. It should be covered in prayer. You should be seeking God's direction and guidance and that the ultimate goal is not condemnation, but the goal is restoration. So, there's two or three in verse 20, isn't talking about worship services. He actually, if you think about it, the two or three actually constitutes church. See, church is simply a gathering of people who believe. So if you have two or three together, you have church. You know, if you've ever been you know, on a board of a company or a nonprofit or uh, maybe class president or something, some, something where you have to vote on something, there's something called a, a quorum. And what a quorum is, is it's the minimum amount of people in a room required to make a decision. And so that's essentially what God is saying here, is that if two or three of you together, if you're godly, you're seeking God, you're praying about this decision, then I am there giving you the guidance and whatever you say, I'm going to back that decision because we're making decisions on behalf of God. So that's what the verse actually means. But let's bounce back. So we're going to bounce around. Let's bounce back to God's presence. 
Because I think that's really something that really intrigues us, like God's presence. What does it mean to have God present with us? You know, we serve an omni-God. An omni-God. You know what omni means? It means all. All. It's all-encompassing. We serve an omnipotent God. This means our God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He has all the power in the universe. We serve an omniscient God. That means he is an all-knowing God, that he knows all the details of your life. Scripture says that he even knows the number of hairs on your head, and for some of you that's easier than others, okay? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's also an omnipresent God. Omnipresent meaning that he is all-present, that he is everywhere at once. He is with us now. He is with us wherever we go. God is with us. That is what Emmanuel means. God is with us. In your notes, the omnipresence of God assures us that he is with us even when we're alone. Even when we're alone, even when I was alone in the wilderness of Vermont, God was with me. Even when you were going through, you know, the difficult time, the divorce, the anxiety, the depression, when, when you were going through the, the financial crisis, the, the sickness, God is still with you. You didn't need another person in the room. God is there. The Holy Spirit, Scripture says, is in us, and as long as he is in us, we are not alone. We are not alone. We are never far from his presence. It says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, it says, The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. For some of us, that verse is very reassuring. For some of us, that verse is kind of scary to think about. You know, it's like he's watching you. Every breath you take, <laughs> every move you make, Every bond you break, every step you take, he'll be watching you. You know, it's like, okay, like God, God's watching me. I don't know how I feel about, I don't know how I feel about God watching me. I don't know how you feel about it either, but you're going to have to deal with it because he promises that he's watching both the evil and the good. He's watching you. God is always present. Not just with the godly, but with the ungodly as well. In your notes, there is nothing that is hidden from God. Nothing's hidden from him. He sees all. He knows all. And guess what? He's not caught off guard by the situations in your life. Because he knows. He knows the things that you face today. He knows the things that you're facing this week. He knew them before you were even born. Nothing catches God off guard because he knows the beginning from the end. It says in Psalm 139 verse 7. I can never escape from your spirit. You can't escape from his spirit because I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. In other words, if you, if you book a ticket on SpaceX, you know, and you go up in outer space, he says, if I go up to heaven, you're there. And if I go down to the grave, you're there. And if I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. He's saying even if I'm in the, the depths of the Mariana Trench in a submarine or if I'm in orbit in outer space, I can't run away from your presence. You can run, but you cannot hide. Because God is always there. You might think that you're running. You run as fast as you can. So I'm going to get away from God. There's nothing that he could do. He, he isn't going to be able to find me. And as soon as you get to where you're running, you find him. He's like, oh, I was here waiting for you all along. 
It's like he's always there. He's always there. You cannot run away from God's presence. But we see a prophet in the Old Testament that tried this. The Old Testament was the part of the Bible before, before Jesus came on the scene. And, and, and there was a prophet, and his name was Jonah. And God gave Jonah a message for a very evil kingdom. and said, I want you to go and deliver the message, uh, because if you don't deliver the message, then I'm going to destroy this entire nation. And Jonah's like, fine with me, destroy them. And so he says, he goes the other way. Look what it says here in Jonah 1.3. It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And that's a dangerous place to be in. I'm running away from the Lord. It says he went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish, as if God wasn't there already. Some of you know the story. You know how it goes, and he was swallowed by a great fish. And even in the depths of the ocean, the Lord heard his prayer. See, there is nowhere that you can run that God is not already there. Many of us, we've spent our life trying to run from God. Many of us, we've spent our life trying to live our life our own way, to do our own thing, and God's like, Peekaboo, I'm here. I'm waiting for you. I knew you were going to be here. I knew you were going to be in this situation. I knew you were going to hit rock bottom, and I'm still here for you to help you. Maybe, maybe you've tried that, but here in your notes, there is nowhere that you can go that removes you from God's presence. There's nowhere that you can go that will separate you from God's presence. You can't get away. You run away, and he's there. You know, most religions in this world, they don't have this idea that God is with them all the time. They kind of have this idea that they need to do certain things to appease the gods and perhaps get their attention so that they'll momentarily help them. Or, or some of these religions, they actually want to figure out how to avoid interaction with God because they think of their God as an angry God, a God full of rage and anger and hatred. And so they're like, I just kind of want to avoid, I want to keep my, my head low so I don't really cause any waves here. So they don't have this same idea that God is with us. In Psalms 46, verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Underline that, an ever-present help in trouble. I don't know if you've ever faced any trouble before, but I have. We've, we've all faced trouble of, of some kind. Isn't it good to know that God is our ever-present help in trouble? That when you're facing difficulties, that God is there. He is ever-present. He is uh, omnipresent. He is there with you. In your notes, when you're in trouble, isn't it good to know that God is only a prayer away? That he is not far. You don't have to go somewhere. You don't have to find a church. You don't have to go to the, the Holy Land. You don't have to go to some location. God is right there, and he hears your call. He hears your prayer. He hears your conversation. All you have to do is call on his name, and he's closer than you may think. He's closer than you may realize. You don't need to do anything to get him to show up because he's already there. In churches, we often hear people saying, well, you know, we, we want God to show up. We want God to show up. Like, no, no, God already showed up. He was, uh, he was there before you were. He, he doesn't sleep, so you were sleeping, and he was there waiting for you. Like, we don't need to wait for God to show up. We're the ones who need to show up. I need to show up. I need to show up and be aware that God is there. It's not him. I'm not waiting on him. He's waiting on me. He's waiting on me to show up. 
But here's the thing. Sometimes God may be silent. And maybe you don't really notice him. Maybe, maybe you're ignoring him. Maybe you're denying him, denying his presence. But honestly, that doesn't change the reality. Just because you're, you're not aware that he's there doesn't change the reality that he is there with you. That he is there with you even if you are not aware he is there with you. In your notes, God is here even if you can't sense his presence. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Are you aware that God is here? Like, God is here with us right now. Like, some of you might say, yeah, yeah, I sense it, I feel it. Some of you are like, no, I got nothing. But you know what? God is aware, even if you can't sense his presence. See, us as humans, we put a lot of emphasis on our senses. You know, oh, oh, I, I can sense him, and this is great, and, and, and I just want to sense him. But, you know, sometimes we can't sense someone else's presence. I grew up like this. See, my, my dad had this interesting hobby of wanting to, to, to scare me all the time in the dark at night. So I'd like go to my room and I'd open my closet and he'd be there and just jump out. You know, it's like, and I couldn't sense his presence. You know, after a while, I began to just, you know, get very, you know, like, okay, he's got to be here somewhere. And it makes it very difficult when, when he wasn't there and I'm still looking behind, you know, everything to see if he's there. But, but here's the thing, even if you can't sense his presence, God is still there, your senses may fail, but God does not. You might be saying, well, I don't know. I'm just going through a difficult time, and, and I, just, I just don't feel God's presence. Isn't it good to know that God's presence isn't dependent on your feeling? Right? Like, that'd be a pretty weak God if he's like, oh, they don't feel me there, so I'm not going to be there, you know? It's like, well, I'm just, I'm just not going to be there. No, no, if you don't sense his presence, if you're not feeling his presence, maybe it's just because we're not aware of his presence. We're just not aware. See, the reason... Though that we may experience his presence more around other believers is because now we're finally paying attention. The reason some of us experience his presence more like when we gather together as a congregation, as a church, is because now we're more aware. We're like, oh, I'm coming with expectation that I'm going to experience God's presence. And we fail to realize that we could experience that every moment of every single day if we're aware of his presence. We want to be more aware of God's presence. Most of us. Most of us forget about air until we run out of it, right? Like, like most of like, like how many of you actually thought about air today? Like, I am so glad that there's air. Like, how, like okay, two of you, like, like wow, I'm great. The rest of you, like, like how many of you, how many of you, you here, everybody take a deep breath. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do it. Okay, fine, we're just going to watch you. And wait for you to do it, okay? Go ahead. Prove me wrong. Okay, go ahead. After about a minute or two, you're going to give in, and you're going to take that deep breath of air because maybe you haven't thought about it, but it's here sustaining you nonetheless. Even though we've ignored it, we haven't been aware of it, it's still here. It's still here. It's still here. It's, it's nourishing us. It's keeping us alive. And, and in the same way, God is here with us. Even if we're not aware he's with us, he's sustaining us, he's keeping alive. Say, oh, I feel like God is far away from me. Sometimes we all feel like that. We feel like God is far away, but look what it says in Acts 17, verse 27. It says his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. See, God wants us to find him. Look what it says here at the end of this verse. Though he is not far from any one of us. He's not far from you. 
Maybe you're going through a difficulty right now in your life and you feel like God is far away. He's not. God is not far. He's close. God is not far away from you. You may be facing difficulty right now. You may be facing hardship right now. You may be facing trouble right now. You may be going through a time of testing right now. You may be facing depression right now. Maybe you're feeling discouraged right now. Maybe you're experiencing doubt and worry right now. But let me assure you of this. God is not far away. He's not dependent on our feelings On our senses, God is not far away. Surely God's presence is here right now. Even if we're unaware, God's presence is here. Do you feel him? Do you sense him? Are you aware of his presence? See, God is with you, yes, when you're around other believers. When two or three are gathered, yeah, he's there. But guess what? He's also there with you when you're all alone. He's with you in the good times. And he's with you in the bad times. He's with you when you're singing praise and you sense his presence and you feel so close. But he's also with you when you're mad at the world. And you feel hurt and broken. He's with you. Scripture says to be still and know that he is God. To be aware. To be aware of his presence here. That he is here. He is not a distant God. He is not a negligent God. He is not an abusive God. And most certainly, he is not a weak God. He is an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God, and an ever-present help in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. We thank you that you are here with us. No conditions, no requirements. We don't have to invoke you. You're just here. Because you are God, and you are our ever-present help in time of need. So, Lord, we come to you, and we're aware that you're here. We also ask you to help us when it comes to resolving disputes with other people, that we can approach it in a godly way, that we can realize that you are giving us your wisdom and guidance in those situations to be men and women of peace. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus is your Lord. I want to invite you, give you a personal invitation into God's family. He's inviting you now. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you say with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. Then you're a part of his family. Won't you call on his name now? Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that even in the middle of difficulty, even when we're going through hard times, even in the face of trouble and adversity and disappointment and sickness and depression, and financial loss, and anxiety, and loneliness, that you are with us. You are our ever-present help 
You've never left us. You've never forsaken us. You've never abandoned us, not even for a moment. And we thank you that your presence is not dependent on our senses. We thank you that your presence is not dependent on our feelings. We thank you that your presence is simply dependent on the promise that you've given to us, that you are here with us, that you are closer than we may have thought, that you are here and that you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us because you are Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen.